you're going to hear the story of Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. He's a guy who came from nowhere, is out in exile, living in Babylon, having to ask permission to go back because he's heard this call of God to go and rebuild a city that has been absolutely destroyed. That as the Babylonians came and conquered, Jerusalem was destroyed stone by stone and not only destroyed but desecrated in ways that we can't even speak about in church. But he gets this call of God. And this is what you're going to hear at this point. What he does, this no one, what he does with this call. Artaxerxes. <laughs> I knew that. Okay. <laughs> in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been, in, been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen also was sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, directing him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the gracious hand of God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent officers of the army and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. Then I got up during the night I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the animal I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, past the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, But there was no place for the animal I was riding to continue. So I went up by way of the valley by night and inspected the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, 
the nobles, the officials, and the rest that were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I told them that the hand of my God had been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. Holy wisdom, holy word. Join peace, you two. Have a great trip, Armand. So, I love Nehemiah. Uh, he's absolutely one of my favorite biblical characters, partly because he's just a nobody who gets this call of God and, and, and answers it, and answers a call to go do one of the most overwhelming things that we find anywhere in Scripture. To go back and not only rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but rebuild Jerusalem itself. He asks permission of King Artaxerxes in Persia. He then has to travel through some of the most dangerous land around, through Mesopotamia and Assyria, finally going south to Jerusalem. And, and, and what does he do? By the way, it was dangerous even there. And it's why he goes out at night. And he begins to walk and wander around the walls, inspecting each one, looking at the needs of every aspect of that city. He begins to make a plan. He then begins to recruit others to help him implement that plan. And one of those is named Ezra. Ezra is a priest. The people had believed, the people of Israel had believed that God had deserted them, punishing them for what they had become. Ezra's role, along with Nehemiah, was not only to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls, but to also rebuild the faith. Recruitment happens, construction begins, and all the preparations take place. All the preparations take place, and the construction begins in only 52 days. 52 days. 52 days to take on this project and coordinate it. And in those 52 days, what happens? But the whole life of a nation begins to be rebuilt that will last into even today. Look at what can be accomplished in 52 days. And friends, numbers are important in Scripture. Uh, even to the point where I, I kept looking at the life of Jesus. And, and by the way, all of this is based on a book, and these quotes come from the book um, called 20,000 Days. If you have not picked up the book, please pick it up. It's very short. It's a very easy read. But I will guarantee you it will transform the way you look at life, no matter how old or how young you may be. 20,000 Days. So I began to do the math about Jesus. Jesus was alive approximately 12,000 days. Jesus was in ministry one-twelfth of that time, approximately 1,000 days. I think for many of us, 1,000 days is even less than the time that we spent in high school. 
A thousand days is less than the time that most of us spent in college. A thousand days is certainly less than the time that we even spent in graduate school. And yet in a thousand days, Jesus completely, completely redefines how God is seen. No more this vengeful, angry, destroying God. But Jesus transforms that into a loving, accepting, grace-filled God who is willing to sacrifice God's self even for the sake of humanity. That's what this is about and why we celebrate communion. To remember a thousand days. Well, I'm 22,388 days old. Now, I asked First Service to do the math and figure out how old they were in days. You want to try it? Some of you are going, oh, no. I'm not looking at that. But it was amazing to see the diversity of some that were alive maybe 5,000 days and others who were alive for 32,000 days and, and everything in between. In my 22,388 days, I've had three careers. And again, 7,300 of those days in the beginning were just growing up, going to school, elementary school and middle school and high school, and then a little bit of college before I broke my neck. I tried to do the math last week and figured out that somewhere, if you look at the entirety of those days, I probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred really, really, really stupid days. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I was thinking the same thing, Gene. I, it, really? Only a hundred? But I mean really, really, really stupid days. I had plenty of other stupid days. But a hundred that could have been life-changing, I thought, okay, so those are wasted days. Well, No. They're not wasted days. There's no such thing as a wasted day. Every single day has some semblance of a kernel of learning or truth in it that we can build on. And and here's some examples of that. You know, after breaking my neck, I went into construction for a number of years. And just last weekend, the skills that I learned in construction were able to be put to use at the mini-mission trip at Lazy F. I'm a pastor. I'm not a builder. But we had a good time working together, Rich and I and, and some others, and, and, and really trying to do some things. And, and even the building of log homes in the initial stages of my construction career, there we were, right? With draw knives on logs, stripping logs to create signs, taking the bark off those logs. Who knew that all those many years ago that construction would be playing out even last weekend? Did youth ministry for many years in the midst of the construction work and then professionally. And, and who knew that at 61 years old, I'd be back in youth ministry at Aldersgate. But here we are doing confirmation again and doing youth group. And I, I will tell you, you had, would have been so proud, so proud of those kids. As after the campfire on Saturday night, we sat around the campfire just confirmation class, Jen and me and Cora and Ryan Bresky, and shared with each other the gifts that we saw in each other. 
Friends, these are middle school and early high school kids, and that campfire went two and a half hours, and every word that was spoken was positive. Everyone. And there were tears, and there was joy, and there was joking, but it was all so life-transforming, and I've heard from some parents even today that that campfire was the first time in their lives that they heard words of that kind of and that depth of affirmation ever in their lives beyond their parents. And you'll see it next week of how close this group has become. But who knew that youth ministry at 19, 20, 21, 22 years old would carry forward to now at 61 doing youth work again? Then I spent about 9 to 11 years, I have the days written in my notes, but doing consulting work about what places children and youth at risk. And yesterday, I spent an hour at Overlake Hospital with Blake. Blake is the grandson of Lorene Ellis. Blake has been a drug-addicted young man for many years and did a single accident, massive accident of his truck in Issaquah a few days ago. Blake now has three new metal plates in his skull. And it looks like, literally looks like he was hit by a cement truck, his face. And we sat there together. We sat there together. And we talked about drug addiction. And we talked about Christ. And we talked about peace and recovery. And the fact that you can't do it alone. And that, Blake, you need this community. And who knew that out of that consulting practice and all that was learned in that, that I would be sitting all those years later in a hospital room at Overlake and talking about those things with someone who desperately needs to understand that there is a possibility of new life if you engage with a community. You see, friends, what happens is God has a a plan for us. And the choice is ours whether or not we include God in every day of our lives. The other thing I say to the graduates is whether you believe in God or not, I, I pray that you do, But whether you believe in God or not is, to some extent, less of the issue. There's a quote out of the movie and the book, Count of Monte Cristo, where this young man is placed into prison and is innocent. And he scrolls on his wall, In God I will find justice. But after 14 years of being alone in the prison... He finally just gives that up and said, there is no God. I do not believe in God. And suddenly a priest appears in his cell, having dug for years what he thinks is his escape. And one of the first things this priest says to this young man who says, you know, God is here with you. The young man responds, I don't believe in God. But the priest then says, ah, but God does believe in you. Friends, we all have stupid days. We all do. We all have had them. And I hate to tell you this, I don't care how old you are, you're going to have a few more. It's just a fact of life. But the beauty is when we are in community this like this, 
those stupid days can happen in community and we will be there. And I say, graduation is such a significant milestone. But it is a milestone. It is not the end. It is a marker that says you have come this far. And we celebrate this accomplishment. But life is not over. And so the question that I have is, for them, for the graduates, and for every one of us, what are you going to do with your next 52 days? What are you going to do with your next 1,000 days? And if you awaken every single morning, every morning, and say, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it no matter what it is. No matter what it is. And if it becomes a stupid day, guess what? We're here for you. Every one of us are here for you. To pick you up and to carry you through that stupid day. And maybe even help you understand the kernel of truth that God is seeking even in the stupid day. And isn't that part of our role? To mentor, to support to encourage, to forgive, to teach. Very much like what Jesus did. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And I will guarantee you that every day he was awakened from sleep, he dedicated that day to God. That can be transforming. What will you do, friends? Beginning today, What will you do with your next 52 days? And might it set into motion some things that could be transformational? What will you do in these next thousand days? And maybe, just maybe, those thousand days will do something in the world that is also transformational. What will you do with those days? And that's what this is about. These elements laying before us on this table are about choosing to not only remember what Jesus did with every day of that time of ministry, those thousand days, but it's to remind us that we too need to choose those kinds of days. I want to remind you again what, what, what I say every time we prepare for this sacrament. On the night that he was betrayed. Boy, talk about not a great day. Right? On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Every day, as often as you eat of this, remember. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup. And this is the cup of the new beginning, a new day. This is the cup of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many as often as you drink of this. Every day. Do it in remembrance of me. And choose to live your life this way. Every day. It's amazing also, just to finish before we head into communion, 
is on his last day. The worst day. That terrible, painful day. He taught us even then. And to some extent, this represents that. There he was on the cross after being tortured. And what did he do? He made sure that his mother had a relationship with one of his youngest best friends. Behold your mother, behold your son. And John and Mary are united. But he didn't stop there. Right before his death, right before his death, he says, Father, forgive them, those who have done this, for they know not what they do. Even then, on his worst day, God was with him. The body of Christ broken for us. The cup of Christ the cup of the new covenant in Christ's blood shed for us. I invite those who are assisting to come forward. Here's what I'm asking of us today as we come forward for communion, that we receive communion. We receive it. And that we rededicate ourselves to practicing our faith every day, beginning today, and then tomorrow, and then the next day, and the next day. And we allow that to deepen in each of us. This is the day that the Lord has made Rejoice, rejoice, and be glad in it. Dedicate the next 52 and the next 1,000 and watch the wonders of God transform.